Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 279, recorded December 20th, 2017. The holiday edition. Yeah, maybe it'll be out before next year. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't count on it. My gosh, we're so behind on editing. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. We have gotten a few emails from people like, are you guys still alive? Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, cool. It makes me feel even worse. that. uh, Well, it makes me feel bad, but also good that it shows that somebody's actually listening. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Cool. Okay. And by the way, I've heard that uh, Apple has some way of doing analytics now. Oh, really? Okay. I'll have to look into that. So we can see. Well, maybe we don't want to know. Or maybe I don't want to (laughs) know. Okay. Anyway. So today, we're, uh, is, is the word plowing through the correct term? <laughs> well, attempt, how about attempting to plow through? Uh, so we're doing uh, just Gold Key today. So we're doing two issues of Gold Key, issue number 23 and 24. Um, so we're just, uh, we're just reviewing them like normal, not doing the Gold Key Theater. No. And uh, these came out in 1974. So they're... I'm almost as old as they are. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. 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 You're getting close. Uh, uh, okay. And I was firmly uh, established in my life by this point. Anyway, yeah, so both of these issues really boil down to being retreads of Taw's episodes, TV episodes. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. You keep saying that, and I'm I'm not placing the 24 24- issue which which Taz episode that one's supposed to be like court martial oh okay all right well I, I i focus more on the other stuff that's going on in that issue and i'm like there's no way this was done in the Taz because it's so out there <laughs> it's space man it's space <laughs> all right so yeah the tr- yeah trial of captain kirk versus the the court martial um yeah I episode so, right. yeah, yeah i mean it's a it's a lot different but really a lot of things aren't but we'll talk more when we actually do them. It all comes full circle, Ken. Uh, yes, it is. Yes. For full circle, yes. So the first one we got today, though, Ken, is uh, entitled Child's Play. Yes. Child's um, Play. I believe you have the uh, the honor of doing a robust... <laughs> robust synopsis so, of, uh, this, uh, of this, uh, cine- uh, this, this tome. Yes. This I love so the wonderful. covers, though, man. These both of these covers, especially oh, twenty three, is a yeah. really. Nice I, I like the covers. Yeah. So the covers. Speaking of the covers, well, let me just go ahead and just say that March twenty March nineteen seventy four is when issue twenty three was published. Title is Child's Play, and it's got, of course, it's the old time. It's the old days, so there's just one cover, but a very fine cover, a nice looking cover. So it features the head of a boy king, complete with golden crown, looking upon a contest between gold and red-shirted Starfleet personnel firing phasers at knights in armor. The contest look the contest looks like it's going to the two guys with directed energy weapons, but beware, they are outnumbered. So a very nice painting, nicely done. Uh, of course, you can't really tell. 100% who the uh, two Starfleet personnel are, because you just see their backs. Following a distress signal, the Enterprise arrives at planet Argylus, a Class M planet, level 17 on the industrial scale. However, for such advanced inhabitants, no one picks up Ahura's hails. Kirk organizes a landing party made up of Scotty, Sulu, and Nurse Chapel. Immediately on landing, they are confronted by what appears to be a contingent of medieval knights. Some on horses and others on foot, but all armed with swords, spears, and shields. When the knights advance on them, the landing party finds their phasers that are set on stun have no effect on them. When Kirk tries to 
When Kirk tries the heat-up rock setting, the knight on the horse comes apart, apparently some kind of mechanism, not flesh and blood. The landing party is outnumbered and quickly disarmed. They are put on horses and taken to a castle, where they meet a boy king named Simon. It was on his orders that the distress signal was sent out that baited the Enterprise. The perpetually bored-seeming Simon offers an explanation as to why they baited the Enterprise. Argylus is a very advanced civilization whose offspring developed fully mature intellects by age three. A plague struck Argylus that killed off all the adults. The children were left to lead and build a world suitable to their needs and whims. Unfortunately, there is no cure for the plague which means the children die off at around age 13. Kirk and Scotty surmise they brought the Enterprise there to find a cure that so far Argylus has not been able to do. Simon congratulates them at their perceptiveness and informs them that the landing party has been infected. They have five days to find a cure or they will surely all die. Nurse Chapel sends Dr. McCoy symptoms and as much information about the affliction as she can find. Dr. McCoy runs it against the medical database, which turns up a possible virus match that the database identifies a cure for. The problem is, one of the antidote's ingredients, genitum lars, is a very rare uh, root and not present on Argylus. They have none aboard the ship, but it can be procured on a planet ominous, which of course is on the other edge of the galaxy. Two days trip each way, which would be cutting it close. Spock breaks orbit and makes for ominous at top speed. Meanwhile, on the planet, the boy king takes Kirk and the rest to a medical research center where they begin working with a researcher named Dr. Roy who, of course, is wearing geek glasses. Dr. Roy welcomes them to his labs and promptly leaves. After only a few minutes in the lab, Chapel states that with one more ingredient, she thinks she has a synthetic version of the cure. After Kirk goes out and finds Dr. Roy, the doctor says he has never heard of the substance Nurse Chapel needs. Meanwhile, warping across the galaxy at warp 8, the Enterprise is almost crushed by a meteor and is forced to reduce speed temporarily. Back on Argylus, Nurse Chapel is no closer to overcoming the missing ingredient to the cure when a, compu- when a competing group of children led by Warlord Yago enter the lab with guns. They take Kirk and the landing party, stating that King Simon wants to keep the cure from Yago's people. Kirk says he doubts that, and, and they are no closer to a cure than Yago and his people are. Yago's people bind the landing party's hands and lead them out. Scotty says the bindings are meant for children, and they could break out of them if they wanted to. Kirk says, not yet. That could lead to gunplay, and he does not want to use guns on children. When they leave the lab, they find that King Simon is also captured, and all of them are taken to Yako's castle and thrown in the dungeon. They must escape before McCoy and Spock return with the cure, or they won't be found to get the cure in time. More good news comes from a guard who tells them if they don't hand over the cure within three days, they will all be executed. Sulu points out three days is when the Enterprise is supposed to return. Spock and McCoy finally reach Ominous, and they have a little adventure involving loincloth-wearing primitive men who happen to speak English. After kicking some booty with the primitive's own clubs, uh, Spock and McCoy return to the ship with the plants they came for. Now it's a race against time as they speed back to Argylus. Meanwhile, the three days have passed, and guards come to take the landing party and King Simon to the executioner. Relatively easily, the landing party is able to overpower the guards, but on their way out, they are are confronted by more guards. 
Kirk reluctantly fires on the children, but finds the guns are only harmless light guns. It's all part of a game for Yago, who believes there will be no cure, and only wants to play games like these until his inevitable death. The landing party and King Simon arrive back at the castle, in time for Kirk to get their communicators back. Then, inexplicably, Kirk contacts Spock using a hot pink colored tricorder. McCoy beams down with the cure and administers it to the landing party, starting with Sulu, who is showing symptoms. Kirk leaves the remaining antidote with the king and promises another starship will be along with larger quantities of the cure, enough for the entire population. King Simon thanks Kirk and says, He has learned now there is always a reason for hope. Da, 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 da. The end. So the larger quantities of the root plus babysitters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so okay, so Mary, you remember the Taz episode Mary? Uh-huh. So, you know, this is Mary, only instead of Kim Darby, it's uh, you know, a boy king whatever. Right. But on Mary didn't they have powers too or am I mixing it up with something else? Uh, I don't remember. I do not remember them having powers. Oh, okay. But again, the landing party gets um, infected. Right. It's a race against time to figure out the cure, to save the children, to save the landing party. Um, and in a weakened, I think there's one point at a week in a weakened state, uh, Kirk is like beaten up by the children or something. <laughs> it, it really was not one of my favorite episodes when I was a kid. It was like, what? Oh my god, it's the kid episode again. <laughs> ah, okay, I guess I'll watch it again. But here I didn't understand why they the 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 date you know saying that you have five days or three days or whatever it was right, right. that the kids set up otherwise you're going to get shot unless they come back in three days I mean was that was really just them playing games there wasn't uh, I mean there was well, no real reason for the three days I mean the crew well, was going to die in five days anyway so why exactly. did the uh, why why do we need that extra bit of tension? I think it's filler. Yeah. It's just filler. It's like, okay, so why they get captured and thrown in a dungeon by a competing warlord? Well, filler. <laughs> I mean, they had to finish the pages. Because right. what, cause what happens? They get captured by Iago's people, uh, and they get taken, and they th- get thrown in a dungeon, and it says, in three days, which just happens to be when Spock's supposed to be back. Um, and then they finally get out, and then they end up right back to where they were before in time to get the cure. Right. Well, was so, it maybe the second group didn't know that the Enterprise was coming back in three days and that they were going to die in five? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think, I think the writers are just, just a little on the lazy side. It's like, okay, so we got to have some filler here, and it'd be good if they could get back in time to get the cure. Okay, well, how many days? Three days? Okay, three days. Three days before the executioner comes to get you. Yeah, and, and it's like, so supposedly the kids are acting like, oh my gosh, they've got, you know, they, they're keeping the cure from them. So they, they, get, they grab Kirk and company, and they're, they're trying to get them to tell them the cure, because they're keeping the cure from us. And then it's like, oh, uh, you got three days. Right. Okay, okay, three days, okay. You seem like in such a rush before, but uh, three days. But did you not have real tension when Kirk <laughs> shot the kid? Uh, there was some. There was some tension there because yeah, he I'll, was making be honest, a was big like, thing about that. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god, they really killed this little kid!" And then turn the page, and it's a joke. It's just, it's just a ray gun. But yeah, he got a light me. Gun. I, I really thought they were going there. I was like, yeah. "This this episode just got good." Well, yeah, because Kirk. I mean, there was some drama there. Kirk right. had a decide whether it was worthwhile killing the kids and uh yes it was 100 percent. however yeah they're just light guns right they must feel bad that they got you know uh are all the guns light guns or is just the ones they they had at that moment did they get captured just with light guns i think so that'd be pretty embarrassing yeah it is kind of embarrassing 
But w- w- what about the knights at the beginning? I mean, did they did they have like rubber swords? Um, I don't uh, know. Now, did it explain what they were? Because it didn't wasn't, really explain there it. Wasn't kids inside there? Were they there? No. Uh, okay, so the panel where Kirk finally you know turned up the phaser and and took care of one of the attacking guys on uh, on a steed. It isn't clear in the panel what happens to it, but it, it kind of looks like – it kind of looks like it came apart. So right. so it must be a mechanism, right? And I said it was a mechanism in the, in the synopsis, but I'm right. not 100% sure. I think it is, but right. um, they really didn't explain it. They, they were just quickly captured. And, of course, Nurse Chapel on the ground. You're not helping here. You could be helping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really hate that. Well, she she did just jump out of the way, saying that she was going to be a human shish kebab. Exactly. Well, I, I can get that, but then, but I really hate how they do that. So the child's play, the opening, the first page that set things sets things up. Um, you know, it just always puts the lady, you know, as the uh, damsel in distress. But right. this, this is the seventies. What do you want? So, uh, what? Do you, speaking of Nurse Chapel. Uh, didn't look anything like her. No, no. Looked well, more like Lucille Ball than. <laughs> I was about to say, at least they didn't give her dark hair and make her look like number one. <laughs> so. Yeah, at least. Yeah, so she had a green, uh, skirt, skirt, whatever, yeah. um, instead of the blue one that she should have. Um, so no, there you go with coloring. And orange hair. Yeah, yeah, that that was orange, red, whatever. It definitely was not the blonde. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. At first, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that that was supposed to be Nurse Chapel. Well, if they I mean, didn't say it was, you'd yeah. have no way of knowing. So they sent her down instead of McCoy. I forgot what excuse they had that McCoy was busy with something. Well, um, it's convenient though. It's very convenient. And how about that tech brain McCoy? He is completely playing against uh, type in this in this book. Why? He figured it out. Oh, well, okay, that part. But, okay, so McCoy goes ahead and he knew immediately how many days' journey it was going to be to planet uh, Ominous. That was on the other side of the, I think the, the galaxy. the told him that. Well, they never didn't show that. No. No. He, he, McCoy goes off and says immediately... As soon as they find out it's at Ominous, McCoy says immediately, uh, you know, how many days' journey it is. I mean, that's totally a Spock line. I think it's Kirk that says it's five days. He just says it's no. on, on that planet, on the other side of the galaxy. Uh, and okay, I'll, like, five days. I'll take a look. Uh, I think it's McCoy. And not only that... Um, Not only that, but it's an incredibly fast ship, this version of the Enterprise. Yeah, so there's McCoy looking at uh, a display model, a display thing that says Ominous 176 Mark 899. So I guess that's coordinates or something? Right. Maybe. And then it's, it's a blue-shirted, dark-haired man. No, that's definitely McCoy. Yeah. He just tells you where it is, and then Kirk's one that says five days. Doesn't he? Oh, you're right. Panel? Okay, so you're ruining my theory. My you're you're ruining my thesis. Sorry. Okay, so yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. My my mistake. Okay, let me continue on my thing. And then later, uh, McCoy states that warp eight is 512 times the speed of light, and goes on with some techno babble and says the engines can't take the strain. Which, the first part. Sounds more like a Spock thing again. And the second Definitely. one, he's doing uh, his Scotty impression. That's true. It's very precise, the 512 times fast. Exactly. And he may be right, because I remember reading things, you know, ages ago when I was a kid and stuff about, you know, like different behind the scenes or whatever, how fast some of this stuff is supposed to be. Because I don't know that they've ever mentioned that in an episode. Have they ever done that? Um, I, I don't. don't I don't so. think so. But it's you know, the, the whole warp thing supposed to be like an exponential curve or whatever. 
So right. it's supposed to be like like those numbers sound like I've heard numbers like that before. It's just that coming from McCoy's lips was odd, and then especially about the engines can't take the train the the strain, odd. And then later still, they encounter the asteroid while doing warp eight. And it's McCoy who set who says not to worry because the deflectors will move it out of the way. And it's like, okay, well, maybe everybody on a starship knows that much, but it just doesn't seem like a McCoy thing to say, right? Um. So he he McCoy is a Renaissance man in this this issue. But yeah, good point. Is. Good point about uh, Kirk saying five days. Good point. Well, I, but uh, but yeah. I didn't catch that. It was McCoy all those times. Yeah, the other times. And, and I think it's just basically because uh, Scotty couldn't say it because he was on the ship. You know, when they were going to get the plant. Right. And so he couldn't do his typical line, so they gave it to McCoy. And then, uh, but, you know, Spock was on the ship. But, you know, I would have thought he'd quote how many times the speed of light warp 8 is, but... Yeah, now I want to look it up and see if that's that's the real the real speed. I don't think in the original series they ever actually said. I don't think it was, they did. It was the next generation where they were started to say that, um, you know, warp one was the speed of light, warp two was, you know, um, two 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 was the speed of light to the second power, whatever that would be, and then and then going forward. Or yeah. something. I don't know. Something remember. like that. I think it's supposed to be like an exponential kind of curve. So right. uh, warp warp eight is a lot faster than so warp I think seven would... compared to warp five and seven. Right. But I think you would get a lot. Or I think you'd be past 512 by the time you got to eight. <sighs> Probably. Probably. Anyway. Anyways. I, I like the uh, the Poindexter glasses on the, on the kid. It's very, <laughs> uh, you know, stereotypical. He, he's very. the one that's going to figure it all out. Exactly. Well, he looks like he would. So right. he, he he's got this this kind of stupid looking medieval hat on or whatever, and he's got his like normal kind of geek glasses. Yeah. And then he promptly leaves. Okay. Good. Never to be seen again. Thanks. Thanks, pal. Well, welcome to our lab. Bye. <laughs> anyway. All right. So my last thing, aside from the Enterprise being so fast to go across the galaxy, um, which I think we already said. But uh, the other thing is, is that this episode reminded me, or this issue reminded me of an episode of The Adventures of Superman. Oh. Where uh, Superman had to get some Edelweiss from <laughs> a, uh, it was at a mountain on the other side of the world, and he had to fly really fast over there, pick up this mountain in order to get it or something oh my silly God. like that. Yeah, it was like one of the only times they tried to show him like lifting something that big. Right. But now that I think about it, why would there be a flower under there? Under a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'm misremembering it, but I just remember him <laughs> having to get the Edelweiss really quick and coming back to – so they can make this uh, this uh, serum to save this little girl. Huh. And that's what I kept thinking when I was reading this. I was like, oh, Enterprise is Superman going to get uh, Edelweiss. Okay, so Edelweiss is a flower or something? Yeah. I, I, I know of the song, but the I have song, no idea right. what, what it is. <laughs> That's the only reason I remember the the, the plant the plant right because when my wife and I were watching it, she was singing Edelweiss the whole time he's flying. <laughs> You're taking us out of the mood. Wrong franchise. Yeah. So w- was this like was this like an old TV show or an old cartoon yeah, the, or what? Yeah, The Adventures of Superman with uh, George Reeves. Oh, came out in the 50s. oh, gotcha. Well, yeah, I know the show. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's a black. It's one of the black and, and white seasons, so it's it's one of the older ones. Okay, but they did, so they actually showed him lift a mountain the with their nineteen fifties budget, but, uh, but probably not. Okay, because I don't understand. He does something at the edge of a mountain, and okay. it's like a weird thing where it just shows him kind of leaning over, and he picks up this rock, and you know, it doesn't show the whole mountain moving. But I think that they're saying that it was okay. I don't know. Now I got to rewatch it. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Thanks a lot, pal. Anyways, uh, uh, okay. My- okay, so my, my last comments on this one is um, – so as per usual, the phasers are very inaccurate, and they're hot pink in color, uh, which is nothing new. They That's just how they roll with gold key. Um, but I do kind of like the sound they have it making. Karoosh. 
So they actually have the lettering in the beam, uh, uh, the phaser beam in part of this. And I like it. Karoosh. Not very, um, I don't think I've ever heard it called Karoosh before, but I kind of like the name yeah. of, this, of the special sound effect. It looks well, good. In, in the earlier panel, they do the same thing, but it's the more the, the typical sound, which is what it actually sounds like on the old show. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that is just the stun noise. The karoosh is when you, you crank it up to kill. Excellent. See? It always there you works. go. So, well, at least they went to the trouble of having a different sound. <laughs> so, bravo to you. Hats off to you, Gold Key. Okay, my last thing is uh, King Simon says it's terribly confusing for him and his people that they think like adults, but they are physically still children. And it's like, why would that be confusing for you? That's the way you're species is right i I could see it being confusing for the landing party but and if you're saying well i can see how that might be confusing for you but uh it shouldn't be confusing for him right so it doesn't really make sense though because he he grew he grew up from they're they're completely developed at three right that's what they said and then they die at 13 but only (sighs) because of this plague well okay so i I think the way they explained it at the beginning, and maybe I got this wrong, but it made it sound like the plague had nothing to do with them being fully mature by three. Right, right. Um, it was it was the plague that killed off all the adults and, and will kill them off when they go through puberty or whatever. Right. But, I mean, the lines the king was given doesn't make any sense. No, you're but right. Whatever. Because that should be normal for him. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, it's my last thing. But you know, when you're a little kid, that's the way you think, though. You you think that you're on par with your parents at uh, when you're that age. You're like, well, I'm I'm just as developed as them. I I know more than they do. You know? <laughs> so, so in a way, I can kind of see myself as this little king at that age. Yeah, especially when and, you're a teenager, and, and you're like, God, you're so stupid, kid. You don't know anything. <laughs> that's what I want to tell my old self. Yeah, but no, you knew it all back then. We all did. Yeah, I know. We did. But now, as an adult, I realize we didn't. I, well, now... We didn't have a clue. Exactly. Shall we all do right. number 24? Yeah, let's do it. So this one came out in May of 1974. Uh, no writing staff or art staff listed in the in the book itself. Uh, the cover has a, a green lizard head guy with big bulging eyeballs and a, and a crest on his head. So he takes up most of the page. And then we also see three space suited people fighting a giant purple amoeba. So as all gold key has, it's a little teaser at the beginning. This one shows two robots looking down at the lifeless bodies of Spock and McCoy. The robots say how odd it is to look down at their own bodies. But then one of the robots say they cannot waste any more time. They have to go search for evidence to save Kirk. So the proper story starts with the Enterprise arriving at an asteroid belt that has been outlawed for mining. They are there searching for iron poachers. They end up finding an asteroid that actually is a ship in disguise. This pirate craft takes off to try to escape, but the Enterprise destroys it. Kirk reports his findings in person back at Starfleet HQ. Shortly upon arrival, he's taken into custody, and then when he's presented to the Federation Council, they show him recordings of himself taking bribes from these pirate miners. His goose looks sunk. Later, Spock takes the Enterprise back to the asteroid belt to try to find evidence that Kirk is innocent. Sure enough, they do find another disguised ship amongst the asteroids. This time, the pirate craft tries to run away again, and it jettisons a missile into a nearby hostile environment planet. 
Spock makes the tough call to search the planet for the probe versus continuing the chase to on the alien craft. Meanwhile, Kirk is doing some investigating of his own. He has a cosmetic surgeon turn him into a black man with a 1970s era afro. This way he can investigate where all this damning video footage of him came from. He starts his investigation by wooing the secretary of one of the Federation leaders, and she gives him the name of the person that they got the footage from. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Spock and McCoy transfer their brainwaves into robotic bodies so that they can explore the planet. Once they're in control of the robots, they travel inside the planet to find the probe. Once they find it, it does indeed have a lot of evidence that can help them with the uh, case against Kirk. Before they can leave, however, they're attacked by a giant rock monster. McCoy's robot body is destroyed, but Spock is able to stop the monster and return to the Enterprise with McCoy's robot head, along with the probe's information. Meanwhile, Kirk's investigation leads him to the room of a special effects guy that actually created the footage. He gets caught, and he tries to sweet-talk his way out of, uh, out of trouble by saying that he's with some movie production. Uh, he's a, almost able to get away with it when his face surgery reverts itself back to his normal Kirk face and hairstyle. He is then captured by one of the Federation leaders that uh, is actually the one that is accusing him of taking the bribe. And he's the one that doctored the footage and all this other stuff. It's all his plan. A fight ensues, and Kirk is able to win by destroying a lot of the special effect guy's props. Later, Kirk is cleared of all wrongdoing, and the Federation councilman is locked up. Kirk is taking the secretary out for a proper date as himself to make recompense for his, um, his disguise earlier, uh, while McCoy and Spock admit that they're now brothers. The end. <laughs> ah, admission of brotherhood. How nice. Right. Okay, so uh, this issue is in many ways a retread of the episode Court Martial, where um, Kirk is being court-martialed on trumped-up charges. And um, in the end, the fraud is exposed, and uh, Kirk walks a free man, so... And and that one was the Trump the the charges from the Federation itself, or was it a third party that was no this manipulating them? It was a third party. So this okay. was like, I mean, what was it? I think it was like the daughter uh, of somebody that was under Kirk's command. That oh, that's right. Had that's to right. die died. And Kirk tried to save him, but he couldn't save him. It was like on the ship and radiation, and I forgot what it was exactly. But but then he wasn't even dead, right? They took they they did the whole heartbeat thing to find him still alive or something. <sighs> I can't what? remember. They did something with the heartbeat where they had a device. Oh, that that's right. His heartbeat and exactly they touch it up to people to and, and they could remove ne- one exactly. And then there was still a heartbeat left. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. I don't remember that one as much. It was the real. It was the real culprit. Was the uh, the last heartbeat? Exactly. Whoever he was, I can't remember. Yeah. So uh, the the lawyer that was defending Kirk, I liked him. They gave him a lot of good lines, and he was he was he was a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so th- this has some similarities, although we do have space pirates in this one, um, and rocket packs. And uh, robot bodies. And robot bodies. So they do have some extra things thrown in here for no obvious reason, uh, except just to be uh, cool. I don't know. Uh, different? I don't know. But the basic storyline is court martial. Right. So I, I didn't say it in the synopsis, but uh, of the three councilmen that are accusing him, uh, one of them, they're all three Caucasian colored. So they're all, uh, you know, Caucasian flesh toned. 
But one of them has like a bird beak. <laughs> so instead of normal lips and nose, he has this beak looking thing. Yeah, and but then, the beak is not yellow or something. It looks well, like it's flesh colored beak. Flesh colored beak, yeah. And then the other guy, the one that actually is the 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 one that's betraying Kirk. He's he's flesh tone, but he looks like the lizard guy on the cover. So exactly. on the cover, it's a green guy with the the fin on his head and the bulky yeah. apples. And here he's flesh tone, but with the same head. Exactly. So he, I think he's supposed to be maybe a fish guy of some kind. Maybe I'm not quite sure. But um, but yeah, everybody's very white. Everyone is very flesh flesh tones, even though two of them are obviously aliens. Right. But not, but they're not aliens that we've ever seen in Star Trek. That's what I was wanting no, to get at. No, definitely. And the bird guy is is particularly disquieting looking. It's like, wow, look at that face. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, if it's just normal, if it's not a beak and it's just his normal skin over a, you know, a mandible and everything that's shaped like that, that's it's pretty pretty awkward. Not something we've ever seen before. No. And I don't think he gets many dates with Earth chicks. No, but I bet he... Probably not. He's probably very handsome for his species. Very handsome for his species. I, I'm sure he is. The Lex Luthor go, look going, <laughs> hair-wise. Exactly. Bald head. A look of authority to him. Mm. Um, speaking of coloring, um, when Kirk undergoes his transformation at the plastic, yeah. the, the buddy plastic surgeon... Um, really, he doesn't look that much different from Kirk, except he's got an Afro. Right. So at at times it looks like his skin might be a little darker, but I don't even know if it is. It's just, I said he turned into a a black person, but maybe he didn't. Maybe, well, maybe it was just his hair. It it pretty much, to me, it just looks like his hair, but in the panels, it, there are close-ups, so there's no close-ups of him with his afro, but it definitely is an afro. <laughs> so it's almost like, like if they had like a parody or something <laughs> of Star Trek, and they want to do something ridiculous for laughs or something, and just say, "Oh, those people back in the '70s," they might give him an afro. <laughs> so it's not like it's quite a a, a, a Kaepernick size afro. But it's a good size afro, and um, and it's just funny that they think that that's going to make people not recognize Kirk. I just right because because they do they do have a close up of him when do they? he's when he's uh, at the dinner with the girl. Oh, where he's got the cup of coffee in his yeah, hand. Yeah, and it still looks like that. Kirk. Looks like Kirk, but with an afro, exactly. Which is funny because half the times Kirk does not look like Kirk, no. but in that that one panel where he's not supposed to look like Kirk, he actually does. Exactly, and, and mind you, it's effort. not he looks nothing like Shatner. No, but he no. looks like the consistent. Exactly, Kirk he looks Gold like Key. the Kirk from Gold Key. But he he's looks completely different. She doesn't recognize him. Exactly, and just talks about. The trial of Kirk, and it's like, oh, right. I have no, I have no, I don't recognize this man as Captain Kirk. No, yeah, I didn't mention it, but he he gets with her because he somehow puts bubble gum into a computer <laughs> that makes the elevator drop while only he and her are in there, and uh, he puts the moves on her, and she agrees to go to dinner with him. Exactly, because though he may be in disguise, he is still Kirk. But did you mention – did you hear the bubble gum on a computer? Oh, yeah. Well, How does that work? Oh, was it on a computer? I know it was on, it was on the control system for the, uh, for the elevator. And it's like, wow, you, you're even better than Scotty. You can make – you can cause turbo lifts to, to malfunction with bubble gum. You're probably better than MacGyver now that I think of it. Oh, that's good. Good point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, not not the best scenes there. No. Do you know my favorite part of the issue, though? No, please don't. When Scotty says, Hootman! <laughs> Scotty actually says, Hootman! H-O-O-T-M-A-N. Hmm. Well, that's because he's a uh, 
how they word it, a oatmeal brained uh, Scotsman. <laughs> like that. That's actually in there. Something. It is. It is. Is is that McCoy? Did McCoy say yeah, that? Yeah, McCoy calls him an oatmeal brained or something like exactly. that. Exactly. That's funny. Uh, maybe that was a sign. Maybe that was was a saying back then. I don't know, but I I, I don't remember it ever. Yeah. Ever in my life. I'm pretty sure it was never in Star Trek. No, I, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> so I like these robots, these robot I, bodies, these android bodies. They're incredibly stupid, but they're also kind of awesome. They are kind of cool, aren't they? So what they do is they put these two like Hoover vacuum cleaner hoses on top of uh, Spock and McCoy's heads, and they suck out their consciousness and transfers it into these robots. I never knew they had such tech. But it it's not even sucking out your consciousness. They're just making a copy of it. So even when McCoy's um robot gets destroyed and and Spock's like messing with the head, McCoy's like saying, "Hey, you don't have to save my exactly. head." Exactly. It's, it's just not a copy. Me. And then uh because the real McCoy and Spock are just asleep and the only reason why they're asleep is because of the strain of getting the copy of their brain, but but they're perfectly fine if both of these androids or robots were destroyed they would be fine so it's not like it was really their souls or their their katra it's just a copy of it Uh, right exactly they said they said very clearly it was a copy which i thought it was very sentimental that the uh the spock robot went out of his way to make sure he got mccoy's head exactly for no reason (laughs) and only the head (laughs) for no reason exactly yeah funny so that whole idea is something that they uh, use in the TV show Dark Matter. Oh, okay. So there's no transportation. You know, there's no transporters. And even though their ships can go very fast, they still can't go to the other edge of the galaxy in no time at all. So what they do is they take their consciousness, they go inside of a like a sarcophagus kind of thing or a contraption and they transmit their consciousness to an artificial body at the other point so it's kind of like transwarp beaming but your consciousness is sent and loaded into an artificial body that looks just like you so that that then you go around and do your thing and whatever and then when you're done you go back into another like sarcophagus kind of thing, and your consciousness, your memories, is transferred back to your real body. So your memories from what you were doing in the fake body go back to the real body. Yes, exactly. It's like you, right. you, ex- you, it was like you experienced it. So what is your real body doing all that time? It's just hanging out. It, it, unconscious. Awake? Unconscious. Oh, okay. Unconscious. So it's like, it's like th- what they're showing here, but they say it's a copy. Um, and I guess it is just a copy in Dark Matter also, which I believe has been canceled, unfortunately. I kind of like the show. Um, but but if, you, if your artificial body gets nuked or something, you know, gets shot or something, and it never gets back to the booth to transfer back to you, then you mm-hmm. just – then no problem. You wake up, but you have no idea what happened to the body. Right, right. You know, well, right. well the artificial body was doing whatever it was doing. Which is what I was expecting – what happened to these yeah, these bodies? No. Right. I think it would have been actually kind of cool if they if they didn't go to sleep, and they could have actually talked to themselves in the robot bodies. You know what I mean? Right. I know what you mean. So that would uh, be weird. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of I thought like I said I I really liked the uh, that the Spock saved McCoy's brain, uh, the the robot Spock. So maybe. The robot Spock, even though it has all his memories, doesn't necessarily have all of his suppression of his emotions, and mm-hmm. and he felt emotional enough to try to save his friend's mind. Yeah, it's kind of kind of cool. It is. It's it's it's. Well, they're brothers by the end. Yeah, which was really weird. That whole that last panel, I didn't get it. So he just says they're blood brothers for no reason? Just Spock's like, hey, I guess we're blood brothers now. Yeah, and so then he says, I guess there's some things that <clears throat> brothers don't share. What are you talking about? I don't get it. 
Well, they pack a lot into that in that one panel. So you find out that the se- the secretary or whatever to the Federation uh, mm-hmm. guy uh, has he, she's okay with Kirk doing whatever, but she's going to use it to get a date with him, another date with him, right? Even though he doesn't have the afro now, yeah. Um, and then they also pack in this whole uh, blood brothers in the end thing. But what is what is Spock saying? They don't share. Well then, Doctor, I guess there are some things even brothers don't share. What, the girl? I I don't know, but they never said Kirk was one of their blood brothers. I thought they were saying Spock and McCoy are now blood brothers. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so it says, though no lab test would show it, we are blood brothers, Captain. Okay. So I guess they're trying to say at least... Spock and Kirk are blood brothers, or like blood brothers, but Kirk gets the date with the secretary, and he's not going to share the secretary with Spock. Okay, I guess guess that's what it is. I took it that Spock was saying that he and McCoy were blood brothers because of their Their ordeal with the the robot bodies. Right. I was... I guess I was reading too much bonding in that in that, uh, in that well adventure. I think all three of them are I think they're trying to say all three of them are blood brothers but Spock is specifically saying it to Kirk in this case right <laughs> okay. whatever alright alright I don't have anything else you um no 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 I don't no no I'm okay with uh, moving beyond these two I, I, f- I feel better for it I feel a warmer Christmas cheer now, since it is only a few days from Christmas. Uh, five, I guess. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're great. Gold Keys, my favorite. <laughs> so for the last, like, four or five episodes, we've done a lot of what happened in year four, quote-unquote year four yes. of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So let's do something different, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Donovan. So uh, we're going to do uh, Star Trek Waypoint number six. Yes. Which uh, coincidentally does have a what if year four type thing with uh, with uh, it's uh, they do a Star Trek phase two story, which I'm really looking forward to. That is so cool. So phase two was the uh, the the pilot that they were going to uh, make a new TV series. With uh, Shatner coming back to do the Enterprise, but it was uh, ultimately scrapped and turned into Star Trek The Motion Picture. Exactly. Thank you, Star Wars. Thanks to Star Wars. Right. So this was the uh, Gene Roddenberry and a bunch of other production people uh, making plans to bring back the TV series. And I think that is so cool because I've I've heard about it. Um. And didn't you say even that guy that was in Star Trek The Motion Picture, was it the actual actor that was going to be in the TV series or just the character? Uh, Both. I think he had a cameo and he was on one of the space stations or something that got destroyed by V'ger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think his name's Vox or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Wanting to say that was his name. Yeah. But but yeah, so – and they have all the scripts for the – they had already written like six or seven scripts, and uh, Pocket Books actually released a, a, a book. You know, It was a large-sized uh, trade paperback type thing that mm-hmm. actually had those scripts in there. Oh, cool. And when you read them, you know, the first, the first two are basically Star Trek, the motion picture. It talks about Feeger and Decker and, um, you know, his – that Elia girl. Mm-hmm. So uh, they borrowed a lot from there. So, yeah, well, no, nothing wrong with that. But just, no, it, I mean, you had the story. Go. Why not? And then um, I think uh, there w- they did also use another one of those scripts for the episode where Deanna Troy had the baby, the light baby that she just woke up one day and she was pregnant. Mm. That that was also a, a phase two script. Oh, interesting. Did not know that. So, okay. in addition to that, next week we're also going to. Go to boldly go uh, issues number six and seven. We're we're falling way behind on that. Yeah, we are. Um, and what's the deal with Waypoint? So we lasted Waypoint uh, five, I guess, uh, in some in the summer. We recorded it this past summer, 
And here we are, six months-ish later, and uh, Don, Donovan and I are going back and looking, and there's only six issues of Waypoint. Yeah. So, so, I guess it got canceled in August. I guess uh, it did. Or maybe it was only meant to be six? I don't know. Yeah, I'll try I to thought do it was a little bit of research and figure that out. Yeah. Anyway. I really like it. Yeah, I did too. Well, I mean, what wonderful opportunities to investigate different nooks and crannies of uh, the Star Trek universe. Right. To date, it's our only way of getting a uh, Enterprise story. Yeah, which is too bad. Too bad. But at least we had the one. Right. Uh, which really wasn't... It was just really... a Porthos story. <laughs> uh, yeah, a Porthos, young Jonathan Archer story. Right, right. Oh, well, I'm hoping that they... Maybe they'll do a miniseries or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So aside from that, um, I think we're good for next week, then, Ken. I think we're set. We're actually on top of things. Usually we're scrambling <laughs> scrambling a little to figure out what's going to be for next week or next several weeks. Um, don't, don't give them too much information of what well, happens behind the camera. Well, you know, a little peek behind our uh, production methodology, gotcha. which isn't really very organized. but uh, Not lately, no. <laughs> anyway, so, well, you know, I know this is going to be, it's going to sound weird because, or, or maybe this will sound fine because we're like a year behind in, in producing our episodes. <laughs> I really apologize, everybody out there. We're really behind. But uh, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry New Christmas. Year. Excellent. Or whatever you uh, celebrate. Exactly. Exactly. Whatever you celebrate. Happy life day, you Wookiees out there. Ah. <laughs> I can't Happy think of a day. Star Trek, uh, hol- or like a Vulcan holiday or something. Uh, no, neither can I. I don't. Think I was going to say Pond Far, but that's uh, not a holiday. That only happens every seven years, anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's all about you know SEX and stuff. <gasps> Ken. So I hear. Yeah. So I hear. All right. Well, thank you, Ken, and uh, I look forward to talking about this Phase Two story next week. Excellent. So thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.